0: The following sermon by Nelson Atwood was recorded at Noble Park Evangelical Baptist Church. For more information, please visit their website at www.noblebaptist.org.au That's www.noblebaptist.org.au So I will go wherever he is calling me. I lose my life to find my life in him. I give my all to gain the hope that never dies. I bow my heart, take up my cross, and follow him. I think those words and the words of Jesus from which they're drawn, obviously, capture everything of the Christian life, what it really means to follow and walk with the Lord Jesus, our Savior. Well, you may have noticed a bit of a theme in those songs. They all contained at least once the words grace or the word grace. And what I want to look at tonight is two things. I want to look at the goodness of God, but the end of it all and how we understand and how we work in the goodness of God is very much about God's grace. So I'm going to take you, ask you to take your Bibles. I'm going to read Romans chapter 8 verses 26 to 39. We're going to divide the message into sort of two parts. The first part is very much about the goodness of God. And the second part is I'm going to try and answer a question that was asked after the service this morning. Probably one of the most difficult questions a pastor or a Christian can be asked is how does God, how is God working all things for good when all things include something like the death of a loved one? And I don't know that I have the definitive answer. I've looked and thought and searched through scriptures today to try and understand and give an answer to that question. So the beautiful thing is the goodness of God as his attribute and his actions feeds and ties directly into that answer, and it also ties this morning's message into the evening's message. So it works beautifully. But it is difficult. Let's read together from verse 26 of Romans chapter 8 down to verse 39, just to catch the context. But we're going to focus later on, mostly on Romans 8:28. Verse 26, Paul is writing, and he says, "'Likewise the Spirit helps us in our weakness, for we do not know what to pray as we ought, but the Spirit himself intercedes for us with groanings too deep for words.'" No, in all these things we are more than conquerors through him who loved us. For I am sure that neither death, nor life, nor angels, nor rulers, nor things present, nor things to come, nor powers, nor height, nor depth, nor anything else in all creation will be able to separate us from the love of God in Christ Jesus our Lord. Let's pray. Loving Father, again as we come before you and before the open word of God before us, Father, we pray that by the power of your Holy Spirit, you would teach us and lead us into all truth. And Father, as we consider this great attribute of yours, the goodness of God and the works of God that are good and the promises of God that are good, Father, help us to understand better these great truths and help us to live understanding the depth of what they mean. And, Father, we ask you that in everything we do and say tonight, Father, that your name would be glorified. Father, we pray that you would open our hearts to understand what you would say to us, that each of us would take away a message, a word from you to encourage us, to cheer us on, to spur us on as we do the things we do, but to do them for your glory and your honor. Father, we ask you all these things, and we give you thanks. In Jesus' name, amen. The goodness of God means basically three things, three very simple statements. Number one, all that God is, is good. Okay? Number two, all that God does is good and it's worthy of approval by all. But here's the problem How do we define good? Like, what is good? What does that word simply mean? And the dictionary I got off the internet simply says that good can be defined or or classified as both an adjective and a noun. Good describes something desired or approved of, and good describes something having the required qualities of a high standard. So he's got a good grade. That's a high standing grade. It's a good grade, or it's a high distinction. So it's a good grade. It's elevated up. There's also the idea of a noun which is morally right or righteous or the benefit or advantage to someone or something. You should eat an apple a day because it's good for you, right? That's the idea given there. But here in the scriptures and in talking about God, for us in our consideration of God's attribute, being and doing good, good can be understood to mean worthy of approval, so if we say he's good at that, we have given an approval to something that that person has done. When we look at what God does and we say everything that God does is good, we are giving our approval to all of God's works. But again, we have to ask a question here. Who decides what's good and what's not good? Now, we, the finite, fallen, sinful creatures, must not be left free to decide by ourselves what is or is not worthy of approval. If a humanity had been left to decide what is and what is not good, the depraved heart of man would constantly seek for more and greater depravity and distance from God, and everything would just sink down to the lowest common denominator, and before you know it, we would have things like same-sex marriage, and we would have things like abortion, and gender confusion, and, and that's where we are, isn't it? Because the mankind, humanity has not looked to God and said, what is good by God's standards? We have made the determination on our own. We've gotten together and decided, you know what? 90% of the people in this room think that same-sex marriage is good, so we'll approve it into law. That's exactly what goes wrong. But that's not how it's supposed to be. Romans one nineteen to thirty two is a long, sad trail of exactly what that is. Man has refused to obey and honor, which means approve of what God has done, or give thanks to God. And instead, they have exchanged God's goodness for their sinful depravity, and they both do those things. And the last line of Romans 1, 32 is, they not only do them, but they give approval to those who do them. So they're sitting around going, yeah, it's good to have same-sex marriage, and even if we're not doing it, we're approving of the ones that are. But the reality is, and the last, the third statement about God's goodness is this, God himself must be the final standard by which everything is measured as to its moral value, good or not. Okay, God's being and God's actions are perfectly worthy of his own approval. And we'll see that in Genesis 1 in just a second. God's being and actions are also worthy of our approval and our thanksgiving. So every action... Every thought, every behavior of our own must also come under the examination of God's standard for good or evil. So when we ask the question, is this attitude or action or behavior right or wrong, rather than going to society's norms and say, well, you know, society says it's okay to do this but not this and this but not that. We don't do that. We go back to the scriptures and we look to God and we say, is this right or is this wrong? When I was a youth leader in Canada, I I did youth ministry for a lot of years, and you always got those questions from that one kid in the corner, always said, what's wrong with us doing this? Is it okay for us to go and do this? And it was always like they just kept pushing the boundaries which is exactly what mankind and humanity does. They keep pushing the boundaries. Is it okay to do this? And they wanted somebody to tell them what their conscience had already said. Don't do that. They wanted someone to say it was okay. But we don't do that. We look to what God in his word decides is the standard for everything. God himself must be the final standard by which everything is measured as to its moral value, good or evil. Is this attitude or action behavior right or wrong? We look to God to see what he says about it, and that is our determining factor. So given all that, that God is good and his essence is good, given all that God does is good and worthy of approval, given that God himself is the sole standard by which everything is measured as to its moral value, so then we should, we must give approval to all of God's Actions and God's being, right? If he is good and everything he does is good and he approves of himself and everything that he does, then it invites us to come along and say, yes, we agree, God is good. And so the commands that God gives us all through Scripture, God commands us to love him. Why? Because he's like a needy person that just needs to be loved? No, he commands us to love him because God is good and worthy of our whole love, God commands us to honor him. Why? Because he's desperate for someone to give him another stripe and elevate his, boost up his self-esteem, if I could even say that about God? No, because God is good and worthy to be honored and respected. God commands us to worship God. Why? Because God is good and worthy of our devotion, our adoration, and delight. God commands us to obey Him. Why? Because He is good. Because His commands are good. And His commands are for our good and our greater benefit. And for His glory. It all works perfectly together. If God was not good and He commanded us to love Him, we would say, You're selfish because you're not worthy of being loved. If God was not good and not holy and he commanded us to honor him, we would say, no, that's not right because you're not holy. You're not worthy of approval. And any one of us that looks at it and says, hey, you need to honor me because, you know, I'm the, the pastor of this church, which is a terrible reason, you'd say, no, trust me, you're not worthy of that honor. Oh, you know, you need to love me because I'm a really nice guy. And then look around and say, "Listen, buddy, if we're going to put you on a scale of nice to not nice, we can find a lot of guys that are a lot more nice than you are." And if you don't believe me, just ask my kids; they'll tell you it's true, All right? But it's not like that with God. God is ultimately good. Everything He does is ultimately good, and the Scriptures state it so plainly. I'm going to go booting through a whole bunch of verses and just give you the reference and tell you what it says. I strongly encourage you, if you ever want to, come and ask me. I'll give you all the notes. You can go and look them up for yourself and check me out. Don't don't take everything I say as absolutely true. I make mistakes, and I might misstate something, but I'm fairly sure I've got this right. Scripture states very clearly that God is good. Psalm 25 and verse 8, the Bible says, Good and upright is the Lord, therefore he instructs sinners in the way. First Chronicles 16, 34 says, Oh, give thanks to the Lord. Why? For he is good and his steadfast love endures forever. Psalm 31 verse 19. Oh, how abundant. It isn't a small amount of goodness. It's an abundant, overflowing goodness which you have stored up for those who fear you and worked for those who take refuge in you. I never saw it until today, but I wonder if Psalm 31 19, where he says, Uh, How abundant is your goodness, which you have stored up and you worked for those who take refuge in you. I wonder if Paul wasn't drawing on Psalm 31 as he was writing out Romans chapter 8. Anyways, Psalm 145 verse 9, the Bible says, The Lord is good to all, and his mercy is over all that he has made. In Mark 10, 18, a man came to Jesus and called him a good teacher. And Jesus stops him and says, Why do you call me good? no one is good except god alone and jesus wasn't denouncing his goodness he was forcing the man to recognize not only was jesus good that he was god All right so the bible makes it very clear god is good so we then ask why is it that what what sorry why is what god approves god approves good i can't even read my own shorthand here we go I'll try it again. Why may we ask then, why is what God approves good? And the simple answer is, it's good because God approves of it. <laughs> it's like, you know, that's circular reasoning. And you go, yes, everywhere else would be a problem, but not with God. God simply says, I'm good, it's good, end of story. And he being the ultimate good in existence says, that's good, and I'm approving of it. In other words, there's no higher standard of goodness than God's own character and God's approval of whatever thought or action or plan is consistent with that character. God has given us a reflection of his own sense of goodness. So when we evaluate things in the way God created us to evaluate them, we also approve of what God approves. In other words, when we use the same standard God uses, his word, which he's revealed to us, we can make the same evaluations about things that God does. He says, my actions are good. And we go, okay, let's compare that. Well, your word says this, so therefore your action, yep yeah, that's right. It is good. We're using the same standard he does. We can take that same standard and apply it to anything in existence, Soon we see same-sex marriage or uh, drug addiction or alcoholism or all these other terrible things are plaguing society, we can go, that's not good. We see gender confusion and, and schools that are now, I heard this the other day, they're banning clapping because if you clap in school, one person will feel good, but the rest will all feel like they've been done a disservice. So no longer they allow clapping. It's one of the universities, I think it's in England somewhere. And you're going, what's wrong with this world? It doesn't make sense. And the problem, of course, we know is that we've thrown away God's standard. We've thrown away a consideration of God in everything we do, and so now we just sink down to the bottom level. Our definition of God says that all God does is worthy of approval. You can see that in the evidence in the creation narrative. In Genesis 1.4, the Bible says God saw that the light was good and God separated light from darkness. And that same idea of God seeing his work and describing it as good is repeated in verse 4, verse 10, verse 12, verse 18, and 21, and so on. And then in Genesis 1.31, he wraps it all up and says God saw everything that he had made and behold, it was very good. The other wonderful thing is we've got microscopes that go down, like, what do you call them? Electron microscopes that go way down. They can see, I'm not sure of subatomic particles, but they can see certainly way down into the depths of all sorts of things. And we've got telescopes that can see way out into outer space. And God without either saw everything that he had made. We still can't see everything that God had made. And he just made the summary declaration. It was all very good. Everything that God had done and created was very good. In First Timothy 4 verse 4, the Bible says, For everything created by God is good. Nothing is to be rejected if it is received with thanksgiving. So we know for a certainty that all that God does, all of his own estimation of his own works, are that they're good. God's goodness also drives God's actions and God's works. Psalm 119, verse 68, sums up like this perfectly. You are good and do good. In other words, his works are the outflow of his character. Now, I'm a reasonable woodworker. I can make, well, this thing is, it it really does stand level on its feet, I promise, in the right circumstances. (laughs) But I'm not a great guy. My character is reasonable. And I can produce something that's sort of okay in workmanship. But if my, all of my woodworking was in conformity with my character, my chairs would wobble, my tables wouldn't sit straight, my cabinets would fall off the wall. Because my character doesn't, isn't consistent with what it does. It's a complete reverse for God. Because God's character is good, everything that he does, everything he sets his hand to, listen Christian, you struggle wondering if God is going to finish the work that he began in you. All his works are good. And the work that he is going to finish in you, it may seem like it's taking decades to get there. God is going to finish it at the end of the day when God stands, or you stand before God and he sees Christ in you. He'll say the work is finished in con. It is good what has been done in him. God's goodness drives his actions. In Jeremiah 32 verse 41, he says, I will rejoice in doing them good. Think about that. God rejoices to do his people good. It isn't a burden or a grievance. He doesn't come to it dragging his feet. He longs and rejoices to do good to his people. In Ezekiel 36, verse 11, he says, I will multiply on you man and beast, and they shall multiply and be fruitful, and I will cause you to be inhabited as in your former times, and will do more good to you than ever before. Then you will know that I am the Lord. Isn't that amazing? In experiencing God's goodness, we will know that He is God. He is the Lord. One of the most profound statements in the Psalms, I believe it is, it says, Be still and know that I am God. When we see what God is doing in our lives, we see the good that he heaps upon us, it always stuns me thinking about the grace of God that God has given to us. And it makes you think, wow, he is God because only he could do that. In Zechariah 8, verse 15, So again, I have purposed in these days to bring good to Jerusalem and to the house of Judah. Fear not. God's purposes to do good are, ca- are such that we should not fear the circumstances and what is coming against us. I don't know what you're facing this week. There are no doubt challenges in your life. Challenges down the road. You can see them. They're, they're getting closer and closer. We need not fear any of those circumstances. You know why? Because God has purpose to bring good to us, to the people of God. And he will bring it and he rejoices. We don't have reason to fear anymore. Whatever God is doing in your life, he is doing it for your good and his glory. And you think, you know what, that doesn't help me a little bit. Well, hang on, because I think we may have an answer for that too. Some of the things you face are so difficult, I couldn't imagine them. But God knows what he is doing. And God is working those things together for good, your good and his glory. God is the source of all good in the world. In Psalm 85, verse 12, it says, The Lord will give what is good. In Psalm 103, verse 5, the Bible says, The Lord satisfies you with good, so that your youth is renewed like the eagles. Wouldn't that be great to soar like the eagles? <laughs> some days I get out of bed and I'm thinking, man, everything is just in the wrong place, and all the muscles and bones don't seem to work anymore. I'm thinking, wouldn't it be great just to get up like an eagle and just, whoo, whoo, whoo. I think I might have told you the story. I was working in, uh, on the backside of an island, and um, I went out early in the morning, just staying away from the job site for a little bit, and I'm standing there in this absolute, this amazing scenery on the backside of an island in the, uh, in the what do you call it, Howe Sound, I think it is, up there in Canada, and it was super quiet, and there was trees and, and the ocean down beneath me, a big cliff, I'm on the edge of a cliff top, and about as far away as me to you, Con, uh, there's a sh- drop-off. And I didn't realize, I thought it was just a straight cliff all the way to the bottom. But, actual fact, about six feet down, there was a ledge. And as I'm standing there, just kind of enjoying the moment and, and drinking my coffee and kind of still half awake, getting ready for work, all of a sudden there was a rustle and a big, whoosh, 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 and there was an eagle. And he was sitting right there below me And I couldn't see him where I was standing But when he took off By the time he got to about where Ken and Carol are His wings were out full seven feet And he was just almost silently Moving his wings up and down You just hear the whoosh of the wind And God says, listen The Lord will satisfy you with good So that your youth will be renewed Like the eagle And we will soar What an amazing God we have James 1 verse 17 says, Every good and gift and every perfect gift is from above, coming down from the Father of lights with whom there is no variation or shadow due to change. God does not ever change. If he was doing you good yesterday, he won't wake up in a bad mood, pardon me for saying it, and decide, you know what, I've just had enough of Wes, I'm not doing it anymore, that he's cut off. No. No. He gives every good and perfect gift and he does not change. The good that you experience tomorrow is the, yesterday is the promise of the good you'll experience in God's hand tomorrow and next week and next month and next year. God's promise, God promises good things for us. He's able to keep those promises as we saw this morning. In Lamentations 3.25, the Lord is good to those who wait for him, to the soul who seeks him. Notice the promised with the attached command. The Lord is good to those, comma, who wait for him. Wait for the Lord. Wait and see what God is doing. He is good. Matthew 7.11, if you then who are evil know how to give good gifts to your children, how much more will your Father who is in heaven give good things to those who ask him? Again, there's a promise attached to a command. Ask God, your heavenly Father, for the good things. If we're evil, that's what Jesus said, if you then who are evil know how to give good gifts to your children, how much more... Will God, who is infinitely good, give good gifts to his children, to those who ask? And people say, well, you know, I've been praying for something for so many years. Why is God not answering? And my question, my answer is, God is answering. It may take 35 years for the answer to reach his mouth to your ear, but God is already answering. Be patient. You see, that doesn't sound very nice. That sounds like a way out. I know of uh, George Mueller, the famous. A missionary from Germany, lived in England in Bristol during the 1800s. He prayed for 19 years every single day for a man to get saved. They came into his bedroom and that one morning and he was lying face down in his Bible. And he had spent every the first hour, I think, an hour and a half every day on his knees with the Bible open before him and his prayer list. And he was praying through the scriptures and God took him home. A couple of days later, that man he'd been praying for for 19 years was saved. God's answer was already coming, it was already sure, but he just kept waiting and he kept praying. And like Abraham, he grew strong in faith. He didn't become weak in faith as he considered his own body good as dead. He grew strong in faith and he gave glory to God, waiting for God to keep his promise. In Psalm 34 verse 10, the Bible says, The young lions suffer want and hunger, but those who seek the Lord lack no good thing. Micah 2 verse 7, should this be said, O house of Jacob, has the Lord grown impatient? Are these his deeds? Do not my words do good to him who walks uprightly? In other words, the word of God promises good to those who walk uprightly before God. I want to take the rest of our time, just a little bit here, to answer the question that came up this morning and it works out of this point here God works all things for good to those who love God Romans chapter 8 let's read again verses 28 29 and 30 the bible says or let's read 28 just stay there Romans 8:28 and we know that for those who love God all things work together for good those for those who are called according to his purposes or purpose God works all things for our good to those who love God and are called according to his purpose. The question from this morning, I'm going to use a slightly different example. How long before I will know that God the good that God is working from the death of a loved one? How long before I will understand the God the good that God is working? Just another way, how do we cope with the pain and the suffering from some of the All things that are included in God works all things together for good. All things sometimes includes cancer and sickness and the loss of a loved one, loneliness and sorrow and heartache and pain that may be left unexplained to us. How is it that God is working that for our good? We must never be flippant or casual or careless about those things in our lives and other people's lives. And I don't know if I have the best answer, but I just thought it through. And in fear and trembling, I'm going to try and give an answer to that question. I say it in fear and trembling because I have no desire to mishandle the truth or the dear souls who hear it and ask those kind of questions. And my first point is this. Don't start with what you don't know. Okay? Okay? Some well-meaning but severely misguided people Will try and relate pain-filled circumstances to sin Well, he got cancer because he was living in sin It was God's discipline on him And I hear that and my whole body goes oh, No, don't, don't, don't say that That's terrible, terrible answer You know, they were in a serious car accident Because they were in sin and God was disciplining them To say that to someone going through great pain under God's bitter providences is to massively overstep our role. Unless you are the specific person, in other words, it was your cancer, you have no idea of that truth, none whatsoever. To relate a personal point, uh, years ago, before Heather and I were married, I had people try and tell me that a great struggle in my life at that time was because there was some unconfessed sin that I was obviously engaging in. The only unconfessed sin at that moment was my desire to punch their lights out. The thought, you have no idea. I didn't do it, so it wasn't sin, so I didn't have to confess it, okay? But you know what? To say those kind of things is to actually ignore the entire book of Job, it's actually worse. It's actually to take the side of Job's three friends, his friends, who came alongside and they kept hammering away at him. There's something you've done in your life, Job. It's a terrible answer. Does God, in circumstances, use great sorrow and suffering as a form of discipline? And the answer is yes. Yes. But that is not for us, standing on the outside, looking at the situation to make that determination. We allow God's Holy Spirit to work in the person's life and use those circumstances to bring the answer to them. That is not our place. We are not the ones to make that determination unless we, you and I, are the one directly encountering the circumstances. And then only in great prayer before God do we make that conclusion. Because you don't know what God is doing in that particular point. So how do we cope with the pain and suffering from some of those all things included in God works all things together for good? Well, don't start with what you don't know, but do start with what you do know. You know this, absolutely for sure, God is good. All those verses and so many more that didn't include state it clearly from Scripture and give example after example after example. God is good. I know. I'm convinced of that. I'm convinced from Scripture that all God does is for my good and His glory. I'm convinced of that. So what we do is we take good, solid, biblical truth like in Ephesians 6, and we wrap it around ourselves when we can't understand the reasoning behind a circumstance or a situation. And we say, I don't understand this, but I know this. I know what the Bible tells me, that God is good, and I know that he is working for my good and his glory. Second thing, or third thing we can say is, I know that God is working in me to shape me into Christ's image. The Bible says in Philippians 2:12 and 13, Therefore my beloved, as you have always obeyed, so now not only as in my presence but much more in my absence, work out your own salvation with fear and trembling, for it is God who works in you. Listen to this. God who works in you both to will and to work for what? His good pleasure. In other words, God's working in us for His good purposes and pleasure. What does God? What does He do to work in us? God works in us to instill a desire for more of Him and Him alone. He works to create a thirst for Him. What's the Bible say? Uh, Blessed are those who hunger and thirst for righteousness, for they shall be filled. He works to create a thirst in us for more of him. He works to instill a desire for his word. Wor- word, his Bible. He works to create a thirst for his word. He works to instill a desire for obedience to him and his word. And he works to instill ever deeper desires for God and God alone. You say, how? How does God do that? God at times removes things that are distractions from our lives to enable us to see Him ever more clearly. God at times gives us things and puts things in our lives to help us depend on Him for His ever-sufficient grace. And we're going to see an example in just a sec. Whether it's cancer or bankruptcy or failed relationships or whatever it is, God puts things in our lives to greatly deepen our dependency on Him. Now, God works in us to shape us into Christ's image two ways, by deepening our humility before him and by greatly increasing our dependency on him. Listen to Paul, okay? You're going to say, how does God work all things in my life for his good? This is Paul's example, 2 Corinthians 12, verses 7 to 10. He says, So to keep me from becoming conceited, because of the surpassing greatness of the revelations, a thorn was given me in the flesh, a messenger of Satan, to harass me, to keep me from becoming conceited. Three times I pleaded with the Lord about this, that it should leave me. But he said to me, My grace is sufficient for you. For my power is made perfect in weakness. Therefore, I will boast all the more gladly of my weaknesses, so that the power of Christ may rest on me. For the sake of Christ, then, I am content with weaknesses, insults, hardships, persecutions, and calamities. I'm going to read that again, okay? Verse 10 of Second Corinthians 12. For the sake of Christ, then, it doesn't mean... That those things are directly connected with his testimony for Christ. It means for the sake of Christ, so that Christ is going to be perfected in me, is more of the idea. I am content with weaknesses, insults, hardships, persecutions, and calamities. For when I am weak, then I am strong. God gave Paul a thorn or a painful messenger to remind Paul of God's overabundant grace, his sufficient grace. God gave Paul the thorn so that he would know that in his weakness, the power of Christ would rest on him. It was for more grace. Why did he give him that thorn? Did Paul sin? No, we know that. I mean, yes, he sinned like we all do, but he wasn't in some ongoing, open, wild sin. He was the apostle. He was going around. He was preaching. He was suffering greatly for the faith. He was suffering greatly for his testimony to Christ. And yet there was given him this undescribed thorn, a messenger of Satan. Why? So that Paul would realize that God's grace was sufficient for him. So he would need and require and receive more grace. No work of God in your or my life is ever intended by God for evil. Remember Joseph? You remember that? You think that day that you know Jacob's just died, and all the brothers are there, and Joseph calls them all in. Could you imagine the awkwardness of those guys facing each other in that moment? And Joseph could have done this. He could have said, You know, you dumped me into a pit. You sold me into slavery. You lied about me so none would seek me to find me and rescue me. I spent years in a slave's quarter dodging Potiphar's groping wife. I spent years in prison helping others who forgot about me. But as for you, you meant it for evil. And then he stops, puts a comment in and says, but God meant it for good. Now, these are things that, like we can get an idea of this. But when you're the one going through it, hearing some of the things I'm saying is not going to be all that helpful. In fact, it may actually provoke you to wrath. So I'm asking you, just let those things sit in your head a little bit. Let them, like making a good cup of tea, let it steep for a while so the flavor works its way through. Joseph didn't say it like that. He said, You know, you dumped me into a pit, you sold me into slavery. You lied about me. So none would seek me and find me and rescue me. I spent years in slaves' quarters, years in prison. And as for you, you meant it for evil, but God meant it for good. God's overriding sovereignty meant it for his glory and and Joseph's good. And and in fact, as we know from the story, thousands, if not millions of people were rescued from famine and plague. Or not plague, but famine because of what Joseph was doing, God was doing through him. God's intends... All we endure and encounter to be for our good. Everything, bar none. You say, I can't put my hand on that right now. I understand. And some of us won't be able to put our fingers on that and hang on to it. For some of us, it will almost seem like a cruel thing to say. But the reality is, this is what the truth of Scripture tells us. And as believers in God, this is where we come up against the truth of Scripture. And sometimes we can't face it because it hits so hard and it slams against us. And we need to stop trying to push through it and in a sense turn around and lean back against it. And say, so, you know what? I don't understand this, but I will hang on to the things that I do know. I know God is good. I know God is working for my good. I know God intends everything in my life for his, his glory and my God, my good. God intends it to bring us to a greater dependence on him. God, in Paul's words, allows insults and hardships, and persecutions, and calamities. You could unpack all, one, two, three, four of those things right there and see different elements, different ideas in every one of those four things. God allows them so that we totally depend on him for his grace. God in his goodness allows great pain so that he can shower and pour out on us more grace. And I know for some of you that doesn't help. But I'm just saying, take that and stick it in your pocket. Stick it in your Bible somewhere. And next time those really hard things come along and you came face to face with the reality that God is good, but your circumstances seem to scream the other way, We have the option. We can take the truth of God and apply it to our circumstances, or we can apply the circumstances to the truth of God and try and crush one out with the other. And the reality is if we hang on to the truth of God and know, know the things we know, and don't start with the things we don't know, leave them alone. Know and understand what you do know, the truths of Scripture to help you get through. God, in Paul's words, allows insults and hardships and persecutions and calamities so that we totally depend on him for his grace. God, in his goodness, allows great pain so he can shower and pour out on us great grace. Listen, Christian. God loves you. God knows your pain unlike anyone else. God has allowed it for your good and his glory to heap onto you and I more grace or grace upon grace upon grace upon more grace. God is good, and God does good. By the way, God's grace is his goodness exercised towards the miserable. God's mercy is his goodness exercised toward the totally undeserving. God's patience is God's goodness applied and exercised as we wait on him and he waits on us. So grace and goodness, go, they fit together. One is the outflow of the other one. God is good and God does good. God is good. Trust him. At the end of the day, that's where rubber all hits the road. Trust God. God is good. Lean on him. When you can't understand it and you can't put words to it and there is all those emotions roiling up inside of you and you don't know what to do with them and it seems like nobody understands and why does the Bible say these things that seem so unfeeling to what what you're going through? Put those things, these great truths in your pocket. Wrap yourselves around them. Don't try and unravel every intricacy of those truths. Just savor them and allow them, allow the Spirit of God to take those truths and minister to them your heart, to apply them and work them through your heart and your mind, that you grasp the sense of them in the long run. It's faith. It's trusting God with those truths, even when you can't make sense of all of it. God is good. Trust Him. God is good. Lean on Him. God is good. Give thanks to Him in all. Circumstances. And you know what? I, I shared this stuff tonight. And there's a piece of me that says, Duck. Because this week you're going to be tested on this in some way, shape, or form. And it happens invariably. Usually on a Monday at about ten thirty in the morning. I don't know why. It just is every pastor I know, around about ten thirty, just ducks. Because you are going to hit with something. And the devil loves to come alongside and say, you preached that yesterday. Hmm, interesting. Let's see how you handle it. So I do say this in fear and trembling. But I am absolutely convinced of the truth of God's word. I'm absolutely convinced that even when I can't make sense of all the circumstances and how they relate to that truth, I can hang on to that truth that truth and not let go of it and know that God is good and whether I understand it or not I'm convinced he's working for my good and his glory. We have a wonderful God and a wonderful Savior. Wonderful grace of Jesus greater than all my sin. Wonderful grace of Jesus reaching to the most defiled. That was us. That was the goodness of God that reached out to us. What a God we serve. What a God we have. And even though we can't comprehend all of him, we can hang on with a grip of death, knowing that he will never let us go, and he will finish the good work that he began in each of us. Let's pray. Loving Father, I come before you this evening again. And Father, we have touched on some very deep and some very difficult things. And Father, I realize, I know full well in my heart that there are some deep emotions attached to these kind of questions. And Lord, for the ones sitting here this evening that may be struggling with these very questions, Lord, I plead with you with all my heart. Pour out more grace. Let them see that your grace is sufficient even when they can't see the end of the road. Let them see that you can be depended on to lean back on. Father, carry them through when they don't know how to walk. Father, lift them up, lift their gaze to see the glory of the Lord Jesus Christ. Father, help them to go back to the scriptures and search through them and read through them to know and reaffirm and underline and underscore and bold and highlight the fact that you are good. There is none good but God. You are good in your essence and your attribute, your characteristic. You do good. You saw all that you had made and and declared to all that creation, it was very good. Father, the the salvation that you have purchased for us is very good. And Father, we give you thanks for your grace that has been poured out on each of us. Father, help us to live and walk fully dependent on that grace. Father, for this week, as we all head into it, Lord, work and, and stresses and pressures and family issues, Lord, too, just thinking about uh, the Sullivans and, and Heather's family, Lord, dealing with the possibility of the death of a loved one. Father, we pray that you would shore them up, surround them with your love and your grace and your compassion. Lord, bring comfort in those, those hospital rooms. Father, we ask you for your blessing. Lord, thinking again of Nick, too, and some of his health struggles, Lord, we just shake our heads. We don't understand it all. But, Father, we again affirm that you are good, and this is a part of your good plan for his life. Father, we ask you for your blessing. We plead with you, O oh God, for your grace and your mercy on this church. Father, we pray again for revival. We plead with you, O oh God, That through the preaching of the Word of God, through the faithful prayers of saints, that you would bring and fan into a hot flame a revival in this place. A revival based on solid biblical truth, your truth. A revival fueled and fired by a love for you and a love for each other. A revival, O God, that would spread outside these walls and into the streets of Noble Park, and we would see. Hundreds and then thousands come to know Christ. Father, it's our desire. We know, O God, it's child's play to you. And we cry out to you yet again that you would hear our prayer and answer. Father, we know you've already begun to answer that prayer. Lord, we commit ourselves to you for the week ahead, and we seek your blessing on the day that we've enjoyed together. And we do so in Jesus Christ's precious name. Amen.